little different today. I'm having to use my laptop for my notes because our printer said it is done. Uh, it's been running low in ink and we've been pushing it to its limits. And my notes every week have been like a dark green, you know, or a blue as we've been working around having no black ink. And this morning it printed like the last page of my notes and said, I forgot exactly what it said, but it said, I'm finished. <laughs> it, it said replace. So, uh, so we're doing this today. But uh, yeah, John 15. If we're all there, we'll go ahead and get started. In John 15, and starting in verse 1, it says, I am the true vine, and my father is the gardener. Every branch in me that does not produce fruit, he removes. And he prunes every branch that produces fruit, so that it will produce more fruit. You are already clean because of the word I have spoken to you. Remain in me, and I in you. Just as a branch is unable to produce fruit by itself unless it remains on the vine, neither can you unless you remain in me. I am the vine, you are the branches. The one who remains in me, and I in him, produces much fruit, because you can do nothing without me. If anyone does not remain in me, he is thrown aside like a branch, and he withers. They gather them, throw them into the fire, and they are burned. If you remain in me and my words remain in you, ask whatever you want, and it will be done for you. My Father is glorified by this, that you produce much fruit and prove to be my disciples. In this series on fearless prayer, what, we are, uh, what we've been attempting to do is to grow as a people of prayer uh, so that we might know God. Because we recognize that knowing God means more than just uh, having some theology in our minds or having some good doctrines in our minds. Now, you know that we are not at all opposed to right doctrine. And we take theology seriously because we want to make sure that we are thinking the right thoughts about God. So we actually know the real God. But we must move beyond just mere knowledge to knowing God experientially to knowing God relationally. And now, while we can, uh, we can grow in our relationship with him through reading, whether it be through reading scripture, reading books, but the primary place that we come to know God and, uh, and grow deeper with him in relationship and in experience, not just knowing him in our minds, but in our hearts, is in prayer and in worship. And so we have been seeking to grow as a people of prayer throughout this series so that we might be a people that knows God as individuals, but also corporately as a congregation, and so that as a people that knows God, we'll be more effective as uh, missionaries and as evangelists declaring the lordship of Christ over all of Acadiana, so that they might also come to worship Jesus as Lord. I read this quote several times at the beginning of the series, and I'm, I'm going to share it one more time. In his book, Power Through Prayer, Ian Bounds wrote this, and it's been the driving force behind this series and something that I hope we carry with us. He said, what the church needs today is not more machinery or better, not new organizations or more and novel methods, but men whom the Holy Ghost can use, men of prayer, men mighty in prayer. The Holy Ghost does not flow through methods, but through men. He does not come on machinery, but on men. He does not anoint plans, but men, men of prayer. And so we desire to be a church that is full of men and women who are mighty in prayer. 
And so we are closing this series on fearless prayer, trying to grow in being a people who are mighty in prayer by looking at this striking passage from Jesus here in John chapter 15. I told you guys at the beginning of the series that the way that I was planning out uh, what passages we'd be looking at, because, you know, there's a lot of passages that touch on prayer in the Bible. And so whenever a preacher sits down to plan out a series, often I have to be selective. He has to be selective and figure out, okay, well, what are we going to look at this time in this series? And basically what I did is I chose all the passages that, that intimidate me or challenge me the most. This is one of those, and we've been saving it here for the last week in John chapter 15. What we're looking at today is this special privilege of power in prayer. And so we're going to look at that with, in, in a couple of ways. First, we're going to ask, what is this power? What is this power in prayer that we learn about through reading John chapter 15? And then secondly, how do we attain it? this power in prayer, because it is something that we ought to all desire. So let's begin by looking at what is this power in prayer. What we need to recognize is that, so the, the core verse in this passage for our purposes today would be verse 7, whenever Jesus says, if you remain in me and my words remain in you, ask whatever you want and it will be done for you. He's talking about prayer there. Now, what we need to recognize is that what Jesus is saying here to his disciples is not a promise that is for everyone. He is not speaking to everyone here. This promise that you can ask for whatever you want and that it will be done for you is not for everyone. It's not even for all of those who claim the name of Christ. The promise that Jesus has here and this, this promise of power in prayer and this special privilege of going before the Lord and asking whatever we want in Jesus' name and it being done is not even for every single person who claims the name of Christ, but it is only for those who abide in him. It is very important that we understand that this morning because there might be many who, who are following Jesus, but they are not fully abiding in him. There might be many who, who have known the blessings of God, who know the gospel and have been saved by the gospel, but they're still not yet fully remaining, and therefore their prayers lack power. How many of us, if we examine our own prayer lives, can look and, and recognize that our prayers have lacked power, we have asked and not received, or maybe we have even been held back from asking because our prayers lack such power? And we think, well, maybe prayer just doesn't work. Or maybe prayer just doesn't work for me or whatever other excuses we could point to while not asking this, ourselves the question, could it be that my prayers lack power? Because while I claim the name of Christ and I'm following him superficially or half-heartedly, I have not been fully abiding in him and having his word abide in me. Therefore, that's why my prayers lack power. What Jesus says, he says, if you ask anything in my name, it will be done for you. He is saying only for those believers who are following him and abiding in him. This is what he's, he is speaking of. And now notice this. So, so first of all, it's something that is only for those who are abiding in Christ. It's a high calling for all of us to aspire to and to work towards. Not only is it something that he, he says, this is only for those who are abiding in me and my word abiding in them. But notice this. He doesn't say... Um, you will abide in me and my word in you, and then you will accomplish great things. He doesn't say 
you will abide in me, and then you will bear uh, tons of fruit. There's another step in between the abiding and the doing. He says, if you abide in me and my word abides in you, then you will ask. That's interesting. You know, because so often it's really easy for us to immediately go from like, like, like hearing and being inspired by a message of, of following God's calling and maybe risking great things on behalf of God and following after righteous ambitions and then just immediately jump to trying to get it done. You know, and once again, it's because our, our heart gets excited, but then our flesh wants to grab control again. The Spirit is, is inspiring great thoughts within us and, and giving us great visions to follow, and the flesh, in a very sneaky way, wants to go in and start to pull and gain control from that vision that the Spirit gave you. Jesus doesn't say that we immediately go from abiding to then just doing. He says that those who abide will ask. And then it will be done. Those who abide in Christ, their power does not just come because they've abided and now Jesus says, good job abiding, here's some power credits, you know. (laughs) The power comes in the asking. They abide, they ask, and then it is done. Spurgeon said this, he said, by prayer you shall be enabled to do. But before all attempts to do, ye shall ask. And so let's look at several points of what this kind of abiding in Christ and power and prayer means. Several points we're going to be looking at here. The first one, abiding with Christ will mean the certain exercise of prayer. Let me explain what I mean by that. What I mean is that for those who are abiding in Christ, prayer is not something that is just um, secluded to one special time of the day. And it it is not something that is done informally. It is not something that is done half-heartedly. Prayer for the one who abides in Christ is something that models their entire lifestyle. It is something that fills their whole days, that, that, uh, that, that colors all of their activities. And it is something that they give their whole heart to. For those who abide in Christ, their prayers are not just, you know, like shooting messages out into the unknown but they are an actual speaking to in conversation with the God who is there and the God that they know. It's an ongoing conversation with the God whom they have a relationship with throughout all their day, throughout every activity, throughout every experience that they have. It is something that comes spontaneously and naturally for the Christian who is abiding in Christ. For the Christian who is abiding in Christ, prayer to God throughout the day, throughout all of our activities, is something that is, is, is as natural as it is for the, the oak seed to grow from the soil and reach for the sky. Quoting Spurgeon once again, I have several Spurgeon quotes today. Spurgeon says, as stars shine, so do abiders pray. This is what I mean by a certain exercise of prayer or a special exercise of prayer. <clears throat> for those who abide in Christ, there will be increasing prayer and there will be growing prayers. Prayers that do not just feel like an empty exercise, but speaking to the real God who is there. It's not something that will be a chore for you. Many of us can confess that prayer has been just a chore for us before. Many of us can confess that prayer is something that has just been a task that that we need to finish so that we can then move on to the real work of our day. For the Christian abiding in Christ, prayer is not a chore and it's not just a task that needs to be gotten out of the way. 
It is not an isolated task in your life, but it is something that characterizes all of your hours and all of your activities. Another point, abiding in Christ means that you will feel powerfully the necessity of prayer. If you are abiding in Christ, then you will powerfully feel the necessity of prayer. Why is that? Well, because the closer that you grow to Christ, the more aware you are of your need for him. We do not grow closer to Christ and then grow out of our need for him. You know, our children, uh, whenever they, the, the younger they are, the more they need us, the more they need care. For those of you who have had a baby before, right? Babies require a lot of attention and a lot of care. Babies are completely, absolutely dependent on their parents. And slowly that changes over the course of their life. They're not quite as dependent and quite as needy. It, it gets to the point to where one day uh, that baby can start to feed themselves, put the food in their mouth. And then one day that child can start to dress themselves. And then one day that child can start to drive his or herself. And so on. The task of parents is to, uh, is to raise your children to the point to where they don't need you as much one day. But it is not so for the Christian. For the Christian child that is growing in a relationship with Christ. As we grow in our relationship with Christ, we become more and more and more aware of how deeply we need him. Why is that? The flesh and sin will delude us and will deceive us into thinking that we are self-sufficient. That we don't need God. That, we, that we, we don't need his wisdom in our life, but that we are competent to make decisions in our life for ourselves. That we don't need God's direction. Once again, once again because we know all the relevant factors. We can see far enough into the future to make the decisions for ourselves. We know what is right and good for ourselves. We don't need God's wisdom. We don't need God's direction. Or moreover, you know, we can retain control of our lives because, because we have all this knowledge. We don't need God to have control over our lives. Our, the flesh will tell us we don't need God's grace because we're doing pretty well. And even the small sins and slip-ups that we have here and there, you know, it's okay. They can be overlooked, or we can make up for them with some better behavior in the future. Our flesh and sin is, it, 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 and the devil working through those things is completely opposed to our dependence on God. And so the flesh will do all that it can to deceive us and make us think that we do not need him. Therefore, the, the closer we grow to Christ and the more power that Christ exercises over our lives, thereby the flesh operating with less power, the greater and greater, the more and more that we recognize I need him. Hallelujah, all I have is Christ, should be the heart cry of every son and daughter of God. He is my life. I am nothing without him. And therefore, if you are so deeply convinced of your need for Christ, and of your need for God's wisdom, and of your need for the Holy Spirit's direction and discernment in, in your life and through every decision, then you don't need to be convinced of the necessity of prayer. For Christians who are abiding in Christ, they don't need to be convinced. They don't need to be told. They don't need to be prodded. Now, we're all still falling and wrestling with sin in the flesh. There might be times that we need an encouragement, okay? So if you need an encouragement today, don't take it as me just, just bashing on you. Maybe you've been abiding, and you just need an encouragement. You need a reminder. Abide still. Abide again. Go, you are the branch. Go back to the vine, right? 
The Christians who are abiding in Christ, because they are so deeply aware of their need for Christ, are, are so convinced of the necessity of prayer. And of that certain kind of prayer that we talked about before, that goes beyond the superficial, just quiet time prayer to something that is exercised throughout all the day, throughout all of our hours, and in all of our activities. Third, abiding in Christ includes liberty in prayer. This one's big. Abiding in Christ includes liberty in prayer. Look at that core verse that I said it was our our core verse for today. In verse 7, Jesus says that you will ask for whatever you want. Isn't that something? He says, if you remain in me and my words remain in you, ask whatever you want, and it will be done for you. This is liberty in prayer. Ask for whatever you want, he says in this text. Now, does this text really mean that all of our desires will be answered? And I will say, in light of what else we said about this text, yes. Yes, it is saying that. For those who are abiding in Christ, <clears throat> for those who are aware of their need for him, and they desire what he desires, and he is transforming their hearts, and he is leading them and guiding them, and, he, and the desires that they feel are the desires that he is placing in their hearts, this text says, yes, for whatever they ask for, he will answer. We can compare this to several different verses. You can just, if you're taking notes, write these down. You can look at them later. But there are other passages in the Bible that support this. Look at Proverbs uh, chapter 10, verse 24, Psalm 37, 4. Another passage that we looked at in this series was Mark chapter 11, 24. Remember, Jesus talked about if we have faith, then we can ask God for, for what is on our heart and then believe that we have already received it because he will answer that prayer. Let me, let me also say this. Has Christ ever said anything that he did not really mean? I'm speaking to you doubting hearts. I'm speaking to you who, like me, come to a passage like this one and read that phrase, whatever you want, and pull back and start to doubt and say, oh, but it can't really be so. Oh, there must be another explanation, right? Uh, I, like, I'm not reading this right. But just ask yourself that simple question. Has Christ ever said anything to you in, or in the word that he did not really mean. There's times whenever we look at something that Jesus said and in a parable, for example, and we can understand, oh, he meant so much even more than just what he's saying here, but he never means less. He says, whatever you ask for, it's speaking of a certain kind of liberty in prayer where you can bring all of your desires before the Lord, where you can bring all of your needs before the Lord, where you can bring all of your goals before the Lord and what you're desiring and the trust that wherever you ask for, he will answer and you will receive. Once again, whatever I want, for the person who does not know Christ, the answer is no, not whatever you want. For the person who is not abiding in Christ, the answer is no, not necessarily whatever you want. But if your heart is being sanctified by the Spirit, and you are following God, and you are testing the desires of your heart against the Word, and in prayer, and with godly counsel, and you're seeking out, it is what I'm desiring, and is what I'm, I'm feeling led to do here from the Lord, friends, you can have, have some confidence that God is leading you, that God has placed that desire on your heart. And so therefore, you should bring whatever you want before him and trust that he will answer it. 
And now look, of course, sometimes, we, we, we looked at this in one of our other uh, sermons in Waiting on Prayer. Sometimes we, we bring a request before the Lord, and the desire behind the request, he wants to answer, but he's just going to answer it differently than what we were initially thinking, okay? So don't take your supposed failures in prayer and think, you know, I'm desiring this. Maybe it is something in your relationships. It could be something in your career. It could be something just in your, uh, your, your spiritual walk with God and think, you know, I'm desiring this kind of a change or this kind of a growth or pursuing after this kind of a goal for my life, this vision for my family. And so I'm going to choose. So I'm following path A and I'm praying that God would open up the door to path A and then he does it. That door, that door stays closed. Don't immediately assume then, oh, well, I was wrong. Oh, that desire was misplaced. That, de- that desire that I had, it was actually sinful, and it was selfish, and I, I was deceived, and it wasn't actually the Lord. Friend, it might be the Lord still behind that desire, but just he's got a couple of doors he's going to lead you knocking on before the one that opens is the right one. I have a close friend, a uh, friend and, and a coach uh, named Alan Briggs, and he puts it this way. You know, he says, sometimes you pursue, like I said, door A or whatever it is. And God is leading you to knock on that door or to pursue that thing because it's either the thing he has for you or it's the shadow of the thing. Some of you guys have experienced this whenever you go to purchase a, a house. You're searching. The market's difficult. You're trying to find something that fits your budget, the location you want, the square footage you want, that's in the right condition that you want, and so on and so on. And you finally find one, and you think, this house is perfect. This is the one. This is the house that God has been leading us towards. It checks off the boxes. It's what we've been praying for. And you put in an offer, and it all falls apart. And you're discouraged, and you think, oh, I thought he was leading us to do this. I thought that this is the house that God had for us. And we can so often be assumed to think that if God didn't give me this one, then the answer is nothing. But that house wasn't the one. It was just the shadow of the one. And God is leading you down a journey. It all goes back to this, guys. Whenever Jesus says, ask whatever you want, if you're abiding in him, and if your heart is being sanctified and washed by the word, if you're examining your heart against the word, and asking for discernment from the Holy Spirit, you're bringing in godly counsel, and you're receiving confirmation from the word, you're receiving confirmation in your heart, you're receiving confirmation from godly counsel or godly relationships outside of you, have some faith that God is working in you. Have some faith that God is leading you to pray those prayers, to walk those paths, and even if it seems confusing, even if there are some detours and some delays, don't doubt that God has done that work in your heart and that God is behind that desire. Look at Israel, who were called to leave Egypt to go to a promised land that they did not receive for decades. And the delays and the detours and the obstacles are in that way. But at no point did the delays mean that God had fooled them or that they were wrong to follow God into the wilderness. The same is absolutely true of our prayer lives. This right here, this liberty in prayer is a gift and a privilege that we should all desire. True Christians desire it not because we want to fulfill all the selfish impulses of our heart, but because the idea of a life where my heart is so united with the heart of God 
that I desire what he desires, and he places his desires on my heart. And so then in that relationship, we pursue those together. That is a life that sounds better than anything else. The last point in what this power in prayer means, abiding in Christ means successful prayer. Abiding in Christ means successful prayer. Jesus told us that as the vine bears fruit, so those who remain in him will bear fruit. Jesus says for those who abide in him, they will ask whatever they want and they will receive it. Fruit will be produced. There will be success. Like I said, don't let some delays, don't let obstacles, don't let closed doors uh, cause your faith to fall apart or to be shaken. There will be fruit. There will be success for the one who abides in Christ and perseveres in prayer. Abiding in Christ means successful prayer. Let's move along. How do we obtain this? How do we attain this kind of a life and this kind of a special privilege in prayer where we are abiding in Christ and we are having this, this uh, extra quality of prayer, the, the ability to have liberty in our prayers and to have confidence that God hears and answers? Well, the text tells us very clearly. Jesus tells us. There, but I'm going to give you two things that it, primarily that, that it tells us. The first line tells us the first one. It says that we are to abide in Christ Jesus our Lord. How do we attain this kind of prayer life? It's not just through trying harder and thinking, okay, well, I've got, I've got to put a little bit more oomph into my prayers, right? And I've got, to, uh, I got to put on, like, some music that gets me jazzed up, ready to pray, and, and I've and I got to do this and that and, you know, just give it a little bit more effort. There might be some effort involved, but that's not, that's not immediately where you need to place your focus. The step between where you are now is having a prayer life like the one that we talked about is abiding in Christ as your Lord. That's the key. That's the secret to a life of power and prayer. It is not through you just making yourself better. It is not through you just trying harder. It is not through you learning some new tips and tricks or getting a, a, a better a teaching or whatever else. It is by you abiding in Christ. Spurgeon, once again, he says this, but abiding in the Lord Jesus does not uh, only mean trusting in him. It includes our yielding ourselves up to him to receive his life and to let that life work out its results in us. It means, once again, that we are moving beyond, like Spurgeon here, just superficially trusting in Jesus to having our life tethered to his, connected to his. His life is working through us in our life. Like, as we said before, um, we recognize that our life is nothing without him and that he is all that we need. And so we abide in him. Abiding in Christ is the secret to power in prayer. Now, this means a couple of things that we need to recognize. That's also in this text. Take care that you are abiding in Christ even when you are being purged. Even whenever you are being tested. Even whenever you are being pruned. Jesus says here. Uh, what verse does he say there? In verse 2, every branch in me that does not produce fruit, he removes. And he prunes every branch that produces fruit so that it will produce more fruit. Notice that. He doesn't prune the branch that doesn't produce fruit. Those are just cut off and they're thrown to the side. 
the ones that produce fruit, he says, will be pruned so they will produce even more. Christ and God our Father, as a loving and good wise Father, will allow trials. He will bring you into storms. He will bring you into testings of your faith. He will discipline you, not because he has condemnation towards you, not because he has ill will, not because you've peeved him and he's taking it out on you, but because he loves you and because he wants you to be a vine that produces fruit, and so therefore he will prune so that you will produce even more. Therefore, even when you are being purged, even wherever you are being pruned, continue to abide in Christ. If we are going to have power in prayer, then we must have it even when the knife is cutting everything away. Those of you who have been walking with Christ for a while now, and you've been, you've been with Christ and you've walked alongside of him through some mountaintops and through some valleys, every one of us would attest to this testimony that it was frequently in the valleys that we grew closest to him. It was frequently in the storms that our faith was enlarged the most. It's, it's a true principle in much of our life as well that growth does not come without some breaking down, that growth does not come without some testing. It's the same with our bodies, right? The muscles of your body will not grow and become stronger unless they are first tested and broken down. And if they are properly tested and broken down, then they will come back stronger, right? Come back fuller. And it's the same with your faith. Whenever he tests, whenever he breaks it down, whenever the knife cuts away, abide in him still because he is doing so so that you might grow and so that you might produce even more fruit in him. Enduring trial is necessary for a faith that grows. So continue to hold fast to Christ even when you're being pruned. A second sub-point from the necessity of abiding in Christ is that you must abide in Christ for all your fruitfulness. Abide in Christ for all your fruitfulness. Christian, there is no good work that you are to do and to be done outside of Christ. There is no good work for you to do outside of Christ. And I mean that absolutely comprehensively. I am not just talking about those spiritual good works. And I'm not just talking about those good works of growing a new virtue or of serving in church. I'm talking about your entire life. Remember, Christ is Lord over all of our life. That means every good work that you have to do in your homes, every good work that you have to do in school, every good work you have to do in your, uh, in your job and in your career, all of those good works are to be done, if you are a Christian abiding in Christ, in Christ. He is the key to, to all of your fruitfulness. There is no division that he wants to bear fruitfulness in your life, uh, in just in your quiet time, but not in the office. Christ will be your fruitfulness in all. All of your work must be done in him. The first qualification to this kind of a prayer life that we talked about today is abiding in Christ as Lord, continuing to abide in him even when you're being pruned, and abiding in him in all of your fruitfulness and in all of your life. The second qualification is this. So first, that you abide in Christ, and then secondly, that Christ's words abide in you. Go back to our core verse. In verse 7, he says, if you remain in me and 
my words remain in you. Then you will ask whatever you want and receive it. The second qualification is that Christ's words abide in you. You see, there are some who believe that as long as I have a warm disposition towards Jesus, you know, as long as I, as long as I love Jesus, then, then I don't need the theology. I don't need the, the deep Bible literacy. You know, as long as I can get some good, warm feelings from listening to my favorite worship music and, you know, and, and so on, then that's all that I need. This is not true. You do not need just a warm disposition and then ignore the doctrines. We cannot separate the person of Christ from the truths of Christ. Right doctrine, right theology, and knowing God and, and knowing the truths of God are important because this is how we come to know him more deeply and more closely and grow in relationship with him. It is through learning about the majesty of God as we have presented, presented to us in right doctrine and belief that we can come to worship him more greatly. If you don't know God fully, and if you don't know all of his attributes, and you can't list his, the, the greatness of his attributes, well then, how can your worship of him be that great? You don't even know how great he is. If you don't know what he desires and what he despises, how will you please him? If you don't know the work that he has done to accomplish your redemption, then how can you be grateful for it? If you don't know what he desires to do through the church and what the church means, then how can you appreciate and be a helpful and vital part of the church and what he wants to do with the church? All of these branches of doctrine, ecclesiology, soteriology, uh, theology proper, and so on that I've just described, are necessary that we might know Christ, but also know him in a greater relationship and follow him better, obey him better. Friends, like I said, we cannot separate the person of Jesus from the truths of Jesus and just assume that a warm disposition towards him is all that we need. How dare we try to call Jesus our master and Lord and then neglect what he teaches? If his words do not abide in you as to your, both your beliefs and your practice, then you are not abiding in him. The two qualifications to a life of power in prayer and all the wonderful attributes of what we, we talked about in the first part of the sermon come down to this, that we abide in Christ and that we have his words abiding in us. Before we close, let me give you just this encouragement that you would move on to attain it. If you've been listening and you, you, you've thought to yourself, this doesn't sound like my prayer life. Or you, you've heard about what it means to abide in Christ and have his words in you and you thought, that does not sound as like the belief and the practice that I've been living out in my life. Guys, I don't want you to doubt God's work in you. God might have already begun a great work in you, and he plans to complete it, and he plans to grow it. And what you needed today is just that encouragement to pursue that growth, to receive that, those greater measures of grace and blessing from God, and to commit yourself to abiding in the vine. Listen to what Spurgeon said. He said, the gifts of grace are not enjoyed at all, uh, all at once by believers. Coming unto Christ, we are saved by a true union with him. But it is by abiding in that union that we further receive the purity, the joy, the power, the blessedness, which are stored up in him for his people. We do not know all the truth all at once. 
We learn it by abiding in Jesus. Perseverance in grace is an educational process by which we learn the truth fully. The emancipating power of that truth is also gradually perceived and enjoyed. One bond after another snaps, and we are freed indeed. You that are young beginners in the divine life may be cheered to know that there is something better for you still. You have not yet received the full recompense of your faith. The joy of salvation that you've already received, but you recognize that there is greater joy still. The, the great works of God that you have seen played out in your life, there are greater works still. The answers to prayer that you have seen, there are more answers to come still. As Spurgeon said here, you have not yet received the full recompense. What he means is, is the reward or the experiences of your faith yet. There's even more to be experienced. So in the encouragement of knowing that there is more to be experienced, there is a greater abiding, there is greater obedience, there is greater intimacy with Christ to be experienced. There is greater purity in your heart, mind, and soul to be received through abiding with him. There are more prayers that God desires to answer. There are more doors he desires to open for you in, in uh, both storms and also times of pleasant and blessing that he wants you to walk through, mountaintops and valleys. Because these are still there for you, Press on, hold fast, commit yourself to abiding in Christ. Do not be content uh, to just have what you have already experienced in Christ, but know that the Lord has more for you. And so continue to press on to experience more, to see God continue to do great works in your life, in your family, in the church, and even in our city. To recognize that, that he still has greater things in mind and in store for you and for our life than what we have even seen yet. Because his love is that deep. His wisdom is that unsearchable. And he's that good. So friends, be encouraged. No matter where you are today, these gifts and these rewards are waiting for you. They're waiting for you on the other side of your abiding in Jesus. So let us commit ourselves to be connected to that vine so we might pray, ask, and then see God do great works. Let's pray. Lord, we confess that for many of us, our prayers have not sounded or been anything like what we have talked about today or in this series. Many of us, our prayers lack any confidence. They lack faith. They lack true intimacy that comes through confession and that comes through abiding. Lord, many of us, our prayers have been half-hearted. We haven't persevered. We haven't persevered in asking and waiting. We haven't persevered through obstacles and delays. Father, for many of us, we recognize that the source of our weak prayers comes from just a life where we have not been fully abiding in you. And so, Lord, through your Holy Spirit, I ask that you would invade each of our hearts this morning and draw us near to you. Draw us close to you. Connect us to the vine, which is Jesus Christ. Help us to see that all of our good works that you have in store and that all the callings that you have before us in our future will only be accomplished by abiding in Jesus Christ and having your work uh, uh, at power in us. That we have to quit doing it on our own. That we have to quit believing the lie of the flesh 
and of sin, that, that we have the competency in ourselves enough, that we have the power, the wisdom in ourselves enough, and that we would just lay ourselves down before you. Father, draw us near to your heart. Let us receive a fresh experience of your presence today. Let us experience a, f- a fresh experience of your love and of your goodness today. And let those who are, or who are doubting this morning, whom the enemy is whispering into their hearts, that this kind of prayer is not for you. And that this kind of prayer, that he would sanctify your heart, that you could ask whatever you want, is something that you will never know. Lord, we ask that you would send those thoughts of the enemy away, banish them away in the name of Jesus Christ so that they might have faith in what your word says over what our doubting hearts tell us. And we might all seek to attain this kind of a life, not so that our own names and glory will be built up, but so that we would see great works done that glorify you. And that at the end of the day, in all the trials and the triumphs and the mountaintops and the valleys, we would say, hallelujah, all I have is Christ. We pray these in the name of our Lord and Savior, Christ. Amen. Let us stand together now and respond to this message we have heard with worship together.